In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Today in Luke chapter 2, Simeon, he shows us what worship is. He shows the whole world what worship is. And since you and I, we have been made by the Lord to worship him, Simeon, he stands as a wonderful example to us on, on how precisely that is done, what it looks like, how one worships in, in spirit and in truth, to use Jesus's language. Now, Simeon's song of worship here in Luke 2, it's a very familiar one to us. I'd venture to guess that many of our three and five-year-olds would recognize these words. Feel free to sing them with me. O Lord, now let your servant depart in heavenly peace, for I have seen the glory of your redeeming grace. A light to lead the Gentiles unto your holy hill. The glory of your people, your chosen Israel. That's the song of Simeon. We know it well. They are familiar words to us because we sing it very frequently. When do we sing it? Right after receiving Holy Communion. The church has for centuries, nearly since the beginning of the early church, she has sang Simeon's words right after receiving Holy Communion because Holy Communion is our Simeon moment. The glory of the Lord placed right into our hands, the true body and true blood of the one whose grace is a light to lead the Gentiles is received, and, and we take hold of him, and, and we respond with the same words of praise and thanksgiving that Simeon sang nearly 2,000 years ago. The song of Simeon lives on. It is the church's song. We sing it every time that we gather and receive the Lord's Supper, and thereby we, like Simeon, show the world what true worship looks like. And there's never a better time than right now as we end this year of 2020 and we head into a new year to show what worship of Christ Jesus our Lord looks like. It seems that the world is quite tied up in the coming new year, 2021. There's this hope that a new year will bring about good things. This is what the world seems to be waiting upon or drawing from for some sort of peace. But of course, this is false worship. Simeon does not seek this kind of peace. He seeks a heavenly peace. O Lord, now let your servant depart in heavenly peace, for I have seen the glory of your redeeming grace. Simeon doesn't care about a new year. He's not looking to turn a page. His hope's not based on the days and seasons of man or the events of mankind. He waits for the Lord. He hopes to see the consolation of Israel. For it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die until he had seen the Lord's Christ, the Messiah, the promised one. And so here Simeon is given that heavenly peace, a sure and everlasting peace, when a 40-day-old baby boy named Jesus is laid into his arms. 
Now, Simeon must have known the word of God recorded by the prophet Isaiah, who foretold that the Messiah, the one who was to come, would have no form or majesty that we should look at him, and no beauty that we should desire him. Because Simeon wasn't looking for God in these great and mighty ways, but in lowly, humble ways with no form or majesty. Ways in which God comes that the world passes by, thinking very little of, as they go on searching endlessly for a peace that cannot endure. God comes to Simeon with no form or majesty, no beauty that he should desire him, yet here he is, a 40-day-old baby boy. Like every other 40-day-old baby boy to the, na- to the naked eye, yet Simeon grabs hold of the Christ child and by faith sees the Lord's Christ, offers praise and thanks to God for his eyes had seen Heavenly peace, the Messiah, Christ Jesus, his Lord. This is the kind of worship that cannot be tolerated by the devil for even one second. The wicked foe is content only when people worship themselves or the things of man or anything other than the Lord, the Holy One. And whether they are in a church building or somewhere else, it matters little to the evil one. You can surely worship the things of man just as easily in a church as you can outside the church. But Simeon shows us what true worship is. He is not caught up in the whims and practices and the hopes of his day. He doesn't need a Starbucks coffee and some morning zen. He doesn't need warm, fuzzy feelings. He doesn't need a new year to bring about heavenly peace. He needs redeeming grace. He doesn't need big, beautiful churches or a moving rock band with strobe lights or some wonderful, moving preacher wearing fancy clothes. He doesn't need anything other than the Lord, the Messiah, and the lowly, humble ways in which his Lord comes in with and under no form of majesty or beauty that we should desire him. Simeon simply receives the Lord's Christ in simple, ordinary ways, grabs hold of him, clings to him by faith, takes him up into his arms, and his entire soul rejoices in the Lord's sacred and heavenly peace. All the while, the world scurries by him, looking for the next big hit, the next big rush, the next big thing, believing that the divine, the supernatural, if there is even a thing, that true and everlasting peace, it can only be found in something more, more knowledge, more works, more stirring emotions, more things of man. And so they chase after these things endlessly. Emotions, knowledge, works, all things which constantly ebb and flow and do not last for they are centered in man, all while while God comes to Simeon and a baby boy and to us in bread and wine. God comes to Simeon just as he comes to us today with no form or majesty, no beauty that we should desire him to give us his heavenly gifts whereby he serves us gives to us, fills us with his mercy and forgiveness and grace and holy communion. This is worship. Simeon shows us well that worship, it's it's to receive from God what he comes to give you. And what does God come to give you? His only begotten Son, Jesus Christ, 
who by his death and resurrection makes worship full of spirit and truth. For to worship in spirit and truth, it's not based on the workings of man, not some magical formula or process or incantation one goes through to bring about some sense of emotional height of spiritual awareness. No, that's the devil's doing, where in the end, one simply worshiping themselves, their feelings, their thoughts, their actions, their own belly buttons. To worship in spirit and truth, it's none other than to worship Jesus Christ as both Lord and Savior, the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And where Jesus is, there is worship of spirit and truth, the Holy One. So where is Jesus today? Well, the world scurries by him, as it always has, even in Simeon's day. Yet Jesus continues to come even today with no form or majesty hidden among us in mere bread and wine and holy communion. He is with us. This is the worship the world needs to see. Christians gathering around the Lord's table and God coming among us and we receiving him, taking him up into our arms and being forgiven and renewed and and returning rightful praise and thanksgiving to the one who saves. Stanley Hauerwas, a Christian apologist, said that the the holiest thing the church can do is to celebrate the Eucharist. Think about it. To be holy means to be set apart. What sets Christians apart from all other religions, from, from people, is that we, we, we circle around this table and we feast upon the Lamb who was slain, who has begun his reign. Holy Communion shows the world that worship is not based upon man not upon what makes sense to us or our reason or our whims or our actions, but solely upon God and his promises, his presence, his holiness, the crucified and resurrected Lord coming among us. I was having a conversation last week with one of the nurses at Children's Mercy. She had grown up in a non-denominational church most of her life, but I think She'd wandered away quite some time ago. It became clear to me that she hadn't been to church in in many years. But anyway, we got to talking about church and COVID, and she was interested in how I was navigating that as a pastor. And she didn't mean any harm by it, but she she was um, she couldn't understand why we just weren't worshiping online. And I, of course, I didn't hold anything against her because her particular strand of Christianity, which she grew up with, which has only been around a couple of decades, never taught her the biblical teaching of baptism and the Lord's Supper and the means of grace. I don't think she had ever heard the word sacrament before in her life. For her, it seemed worship was this wishy-washy event. Some days you felt it, other days you didn't. It was more of a matter of personal feeling of which can be stirred or not stirred, depending on the music or the the kind of preacher that was there, or the environment of the people, etc. And as I was listening to her kind of detailing, going through her litany of all these man-centered things, right? The pastor, the people, the music, these external things. And once she kind of went through everything, I, I finally had an opportunity to 
to share with her that, well, that, you know, I'm a Lutheran and Lutheran worship's not centered upon any of those things. And if that were the case, then meeting online or having worship online would definitely be something that we could all be much more content with during these difficult times. But I said our faith, our, our belief is that God, he comes to us through means of grace, which he instituted. These vehicles of grace, which, which we can physically touch, and taste, and see. So that we, by nature, we must physically gather around them to receive them because we believe that through these means, these sacraments, God, he comes to us. And through them, he forgives our sins. And that changes everything. <laughs> the same body and blood of Jesus that was crucified on that cross is now placed on my tongue and abides in me. And we believe this all, of course, by faith. It's, human reason can't wrap its mind around any of that. But you know what she said when I shared this, which, you know, her first reaction to hearing anything remotely biblical about worship. She goes, wow, to be encountered like that by God has to be a bone-chilling thing. And, you know, I could forgive her for the latter part of that statement, but the first part blew me away. I said, you know, that sums up Lutheran worship quite well, to be encountered by God, because that's exactly what happens when we gather. We gather to be encountered by the Lord, the risen Christ. That's, what, that's exactly what happens to Simeon. That's exactly what the Lord of heaven and earth does in Holy Communion. The risen Christ encounters us, and we stand in his presence, and we receive from him, like Simeon, what he comes to give us. He is Emmanuel, God with us, and he still desires to be with us today, to encounter us in ways that we can touch and taste and see and know and feel. And when we are encountered by God in the Lord's Supper, we cannot help but respond with praise and thanksgiving for what he has come to give us, his redeeming grace the forgiveness of our sins, to assure us that even despite our thoughts and our feelings and our works and our failures, he's forgiven us. He makes us new and has cleansed you entirely, body and soul, all in his son, Jesus Christ, who is yours by faith. So we can live not just every Sunday when we receive the supper, but every day of our lives singing, O Lord, now let your servant depart in heavenly peace, for I have seen the glory of your redeeming grace, a light to lead the Gentiles unto your holy hill. The glory of your people, your chosen Israel. Amen. Now may the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Amen.